We're doing a series through the book of Philippians uh, on imitating Jesus. We're not trying to copy Jesus. We're destined to be like him. And it's about discovering that family likeness in one another and calling it out because all that's in him is in us too by the Holy Spirit. So I want to call out that family likeness. And last week we looked at Paul's attitude through some difficult circumstances. This week, Paul points us to the one he's following, Jesus. He says, look at Jesus, be like him. Let the same attitude of humility that's in him also be amongst you in the church. Because that's how relationships work well in the church, whatever the circumstances. That's what Paul is saying to us. So I want to talk about humility today. Um, And I think it's one of the most difficult attributes or virtues of Christ for us to imitate. And if we do begin to grasp it, we get proud about it, (laughs) lose it, and we're back to square one again. So, and added to this, there's just so much false humility around. You know, people are only acting like they're humble, but inside they're actually quite proud. And they say things like, I'm not great at that, am I? (laughs) No, really, I'm rubbish at that. No, what are you saying about me? Stop it. You know, people who kind of take pride in not taking the encouragement that you're giving them. That's pride. It's false humility. Also, I reckon it's quite easy to look humble if you haven't achieved much or haven't got much. So I can say, I didn't do very well at school, or I don't have a lot of money. And it sounds like I'm being humble or self-deprecating, but I'm actually just being factual or even apologetic, saying that I'm not really that significant a person. So true humility is hard to grasp and even harder to, to hold on to. And there's a proverb that says, a man is tested by the praise he receives. So that the true test of humility is not in our smallness or our failures, but in our success and how we handle it. Mm -hmm. Any of us can be humble when we've got nothing, done nothing, and are nothing, or at least appear to be anyway. And so the most amazing thing about Jesus is his supreme greatness and his humility. The greatest man that ever walked the earth was also humble. But the evidence of this humility was not so much in what he did, but the fact that God exalted him. It was Jesus' greatness that made his humility so exceptional, not his insignificance. And I dare to say that I think sometimes the reason many of us haven't experienced humility is simply because we've never done anything great enough to be proud of or that necessitates such humility. Think about that. There you go, I've shocked you. Because you see, so many people think that humility is about being innocuous and unassuming keeping the peace, walking around very quietly in your slippers. But true humility isn't about thinking less of yourself, but about thinking 
about yourself less. I thought that was a good point. <laughs> if I say so myself. <laughs> There's going to be loads of those today. So I'm going to talk about humility, but before we got started, I just wanted you to clear your minds before we even get started that somehow I'm diminishing you or diminishing the church in some way for the sake of humility. And certainly I'm not diminishing Jesus. <laughs> so I want you to get that out of your minds when we think about humility. Humility, true humility, is only manifest when it's partnered with greatness. Anything else is just playing at humility. And today I want to call out the greatness. I want to call us to the kind of greatness where true humility becomes our imperative. How about that? Are you up for that? Any great people here today? Jesus, help us. Help us to understand this. Help us to grasp something today about greatness and true humility. Because, Father, we want you to get so much glory. But if we don't do anything extraordinary, that's going to limit us and limit the church. So, Lord, glorify yourself through us through your people, the church, through the gifts that you've given us. Amen. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Right, Philippians chapter 1. We'll start at verse 27, which is where I left off last week. Verse 27 to 30. I'm just going to read that to you. Um, Paul says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those that oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer in him. For him, sorry. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you remember uh, last week, I just pointed out that verse 27 uh, can literally be translated as whatever happens, live as citizens of heaven. Heavenly citizens. Because that's where we come from now, the place where God reigns and lives, which should raise our heads, okay? It should raise our heads a little as we walk around the planet. We're significant as heavenly citizens. At the end of chapter one, Paul's looking back to the difficult circumstances we talked about last week and, and the troubles that the church are going to have to endure. And he says, we're going to need to stand together and fight for the gospel without fear. He says, we're going to need one another. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him in verse 29. You do know that we need each other, don't you? To help our faith, to strengthen our faith, especially if we're suffering and we're going through hard times. He says, you're going to need one another. And it's the opposite of what many of us do when we go through hard times. Now, our tendency is to withdraw, isn't it? And to struggle on by ourselves. But Paul foresees a community of people in the church who share their troubles with one another. Because what you're going through, church, Paul says, is the normal Christian life. 
Don't think it's strange what's happening to you. Look at how I'm suffering. I'm suffering in the same way that you are. We're made for this kind of thing. It's in our DNA. That's Rob's paraphrase. <laughs> we, we need a resilience in our faith. Going through hard stuff is part of the Christian life. But the DNA that we've got in the kingdom is powerful stuff. Amen? So, is there any benefit in being a Christian? Paul asks. As he goes into chapter 2, just read chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 with me. He says, if you, then tell me then, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any comfort sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being the same, having the same love, being one in spirit, one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So is there any encouragement, comfort or reassurance in coming together? Has it done you any good knowing Jesus, being part of the church? Has it? (laughs) Even though we all go through hard times, is it worth being a Christian? Of course it is. So Paul says, guard your relationships with others so you can stand together. You're going to need one another. Don't let your division get in. Don't fall out with people because of misunderstandings. Don't be selfish or conceited in your attitude. And, and to do this, to do this, to make this possible, you're going to need to show some humility to one another. That's what's going to save us. Guard relationships with humility. The kind of humility that values others above yourself. That's verse 3. And I think that's a pretty good definition of humility. Humility is something that values others above yourself. Taking an interest in other people, not just in yourself. It's guarding against self-interest. Considering others' needs as well as your own. You see, we are tested by the praise that we receive but also in our attitudes to other people and how we react to them. Sometimes, you know, people irritate us. Or is that just me? Some people get on your nerves. They rub us up the wrong way. And how we react shows the presence or absence of humility in our hearts. It shows up when people are upset by us. I mean, how do you handle when you're wrong? How do you handle it when when you're wrong? You know, when was the last time that you admitted it and said, actually, I was wrong? It shows up when you've hurt people. You know, how easily do you apologise when you've said or done something wrong? I mean, really apologise. People often say that they're sorry, but what exactly are they sorry for? That's Alison's big question. You say you're sorry. Okay. What for? What are you actually sorry for? She makes you work it through. <laughs> People say things like, I'm sorry you got upset with me. I'm sorry that you saw it that way. I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Humility makes us do the greater thing when we get things wrong in our relationships so that we acknowledge our selfishness and our wrongdoing. But we also want to put things right. 
I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you. That was insensitive of me. I should have been more thoughtful. Please, will you forgive me? Because there's that extra step, isn't there, of asking for forgiveness, which is the beginning of restitution and restoration of relationship. Humility protects relationship, keeps unity, and promotes one another. Isn't humility nice? Isn't it wonderful to have that in the church? Well, where did you get this idea from, Paul? It's a brilliant idea. Well, his call for humility is actually a call to imitate Jesus. Verse 8, in your relationships with one another, so it's very clear that's what he's talking about here, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. Read chapter 2, verses 5 then to... Oh, that's strange. All my numbering's gone wrong. 5 to 11... Oh, interesting. There you go. In your relationships, it's up there on the screen. In your relationships, one of us have the same attitude as Christ, who, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Oh, man, there's so much to say about this passage. Uh, There's so much theology in these seven verses, but I'm just going to stick to this one theme of humility, this thread that runs right through the middle of verse 7 in these eight verses. But I'm just going to give you a very quick overview of the passage, and then I'm going to step back a bit and say, look, why is humility so important to God? Why is it so important in the kingdom? Okay, so here's the overview. First of all, Paul shows us that Jesus is fully God and existed before all time. He shows us that he's completely equal with God and though he gave up his divine privileges when he became a man, he never lost the fullness of the Godhead. That's verses 5 to 7. But he was also fully man. He completely identified himself with man, which was humbling enough. But the total demonstration of this humility was in his obedience, his willing submission to death, even death on a criminal cross. That's verses 7 to 8. And this obedience actually is a sure sign of his deity and authority. One commentator says in a brilliant insight, only a divine being can accept death as obedience. For ordinary people, it's a necessity. Don't you just love that? Isn't that great? Only Jesus could choose death. Only Jesus could show such greatness and humility. And he did it because of love. Love for the Father's plan and love for the world into which he came. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus was exalted to the highest place from the place of true humility. 
His exaltation was his authentication, the evidence of his humility. His complete equality with God was reaffirmed. All that he gave up was given back, but more because he was also given a name that is above every name, because at the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and confess that he's Lord. So if you want to get to the top in the kingdom, you must first go to the bottom and be the servant of all. That's what Jesus told his disciples about his greatness. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's Luke 14. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So listen, I want to say it's not wrong to aspire to greatness in the kingdom. Jesus never rebuked his disciples for that. It's a good thing to desire the position of an overseer, a leader. But the route to promotion is service. Authority is bestowed on those who imitate Jesus' humility. So why? Why? Why is that so important to God? Why is humility so important in the kingdom? Well, it's because pride is the origin of evil. Pride comes before a fall, it says in Proverbs 16, 18. And Satan was the very first to experience this. You know, he had this grand name. His name was Lucifer. It meant morning star or light bringer. He's the one that appeared first in the dawn. He really was very significant in heaven. He had the highest position of favour. And he's described in his pre-fallen state in Ezekiel 28. It says that God created him as a beautiful anointed cherub. He was adorned with precious jewels of all kinds. He led worship. He was a worship leader in heaven. And he was perfect in all that he did until wickedness was found in him. And aware of his magnificence, Lucifer got puffed up with pride and decided to exalt himself and be like God. Something he could never do, of course. The Lord God is God alone, perfect in righteousness and majesty. He won't share his glory with another. So God threw Satan out of heaven to fall to earth and make a spectacle out of him and as a warning to kings and all who seek greatness and power of the outcome of pride. Listen to what pride sounds like from this passage uh, in, in, in Isaiah and listen to how many times Lucifer says, I am. Remember, it was pride that caused his downfall. The Lord says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. For you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. I will. No, you won't. <laughs> when God threw Satan out of heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. These former holy angels became evil spirits, demons that do the devil's bidding. They war against heaven. They influence and manipulate mankind towards evil. And they especially war against the church, despising 
all who align themselves to Christ. And his name is now Satan. That's what he's called. It means adversary, adversary. He hates the unity of the people of God, which comes through humility. He sets one against the other. He sets humans against God. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He brought about the fall of man, infecting them with pride because they wanted to know everything, to be like God, even though they were made in the image of God. But pride was not satisfied and wanted more. So they ate the tree of knowledge, making knowing stuff more important than knowing God. Tragic. Whereas Jesus <laughs> never used his position for his own advantage. It says that he emptied himself. He lowered his status. He took on the very nature of a servant and humbled himself, laying down his life. And he got everything that Satan wanted because God exalted him to the highest place above every other name. That's why pride, uh, humility is so important and why pride is so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Humility is like Jesus. Pride is demonic in source. It's divisive, it's arrogant, it's toxic, it's destructive. And it puts us in direct opposition to God. James says God opposes. Isn't, isn't that an awful thought to be opposed by God? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Lots of people use that passage to talk about temptation. It's actually about pride. Resist. Resist the devil. Don't get proud. Don't go on to his side. Don't start doing things. Don't start thinking that way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's all in the context of pride. So in your relationships with one another, Paul says, have the same attitude as Jesus. Be humble. Don't be like Satan. (laughs) That's a pretty shocking thing to think about, isn't it? Don't be like Satan. Value others above yourselves. Take an interest in other people. Don't be self-centered, self-promoting, self-exalting. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Follow me is just another way of saying, imitate me. Imitate Jesus. So who are you imitating? In your relationship with others, are you humble? Or do you think some of us might have a problem with pride? I started by saying that humility is not about diminishing people because what Jesus' example shows to us is that true humility only manifests in our lives when it's partnered with greatness. And what I want to provoke us to, what I want to stir up is a desire for greatness, a realisation of our own significance in God. But this means taking the lower path, the path of servanthood. It means cultivating the kind of humility, going back to Paul's definition, that values others above ourselves. You know, many years ago, as I began to step into a more public role in ministry, 
I came across a new kind of fear that kept me down, never to rise, never to put my head above the parapet, never to take risks, risks, never to put myself forward, never to do anything bold or significant at all for Jesus. This fear was called the fear of pride. That's not humility either. It's a demonic strategy, a lie to keep you in your place, a lie that is endemic actually in our British culture. Keep your place, know your place, keep quiet, don't cause a fuss. Don't do anything significant. Anybody rises above the parapet, you see it in the media, they get knocked down. It's a demonic strategy. How about that for a challenge? It's time to do something great. (laughs) Who would have thought I'd ended up talking about that when I'm talking about humility? It's time to do something great that puts you at risk of pride. Why? So you can give glory to God. That's why. You're not getting any glory while you're not doing anything. I remember once, this is like, this is like the most amazing opportunity of my life. I got to play with a very good band called Musical Youth. Yeah, I, for a moment I felt famous. Until they all turned up dressed in black and looking cool and there I was in a bright orange shirt. Nobody had told me, the, nobody had given me the memo. And then they were just so talented. But, you know, before we went on stage, one of the guys prayed and he said, Lord, will you glorify us tonight so that we can give you some glory at the end of the night? I was so shocked. I thought, oh, but that's right. Lord, will you glorify us so that we've got some glory to give to you? Amen. That's what we're after. So what are you going to do? How are you for this challenge? And the reason I want to make this challenge is that the way you grow in humility is not to hide away, but it's to deal with pride. Deal with pride ruthlessly and allow the DNA of the family likeness of Jesus to trickle out through you for the glory of God. Deal with pride. So I want to finish with something really brave and courageous. Oh, who put that up first? It was meant to be a surprise. (laughs) So I want to finish with something quite brave, but I believe this is a prophetic thing. You are going to deal with pride by owning up to stuff. Right away, publicly. All right? You're already worried. Some people are leaving the room already. Um, But I want to finish with a bit of an inventory to help us think about areas of pride that we might need to deal with and bring to God. And I'll email them to you later. And I've got some paper versions for those that want paper versions uh, on the front here. But I just want us to finish with a bit of an honesty moment with God. And so I'm going to read through these statements, these questions, which you can now put up. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to read them through to you. And this is courageous, but that's one of our, you know, that's one of our values to have courage. But if I read something through, you think, actually, that's me. Why don't you just stand or wave or something and make it known that that's me? 
And I reckon everybody will be standing by the end of today. And just, just for your FYI, I'm already standing. So I'm standing for all of them. And I've already had to work through this list, OK? So I'm going to read these to you. And if this applies, you say, actually, that's me. Just stand up. And at the end, we're all going to pray together and deal with this, OK? So here we go. Are you up for this? If you want to leave now, you can. But you'll be standing to leave, so... You're already nailed. Um, so here we go. Do you ever look down on people who are less educated, wealthy, or successful than you? There's verses to go with it and everything. Do you ever boast about your achievements? Do you smugly think of yourself as more spiritual than others in the church? Wow, I'm the only one standing. Are oh, you guys? Well done. Um, are you argumentative, always thinking your way is right, the only way or the best way? <laughs> yes, me too. Do you have a sharp, critical tongue or a quick to point fault with others? Do you become defensive when you're criticised or corrected? Do you resent being asked or expected to serve others? This is already showing humility, you responding to this. I just want to say that, I mean that. Um, do you often interrupt people when they're speaking? Are you more concerned about your problems, needs and concerns than those of others? Okay, some of you are standing up multiple times, I can feel it. <laughs> do you try to give a better impression of yourself than is really true? Wow, that's a hard one, isn't it? Do you react negatively to rules or have a hard time being told what to do. I often say rules are a guideline that I work around. Um, it's my legal training there. Um, how easy do you find it to admit to others that you need help? How well do you do at admitting that you're wrong and asking for forgiveness, especially of others? Well, Lord, you've just nailed us all. <coughs> So let's pray this prayer, and we'll just pray it together. Can you read that all right? Is that, it's on the next page, if you don't mind. There you go. Should we just pray this out together? But you can go and process this with God. As well. I encourage you to do that. We'll send it out to you. There's some notes here just to go through it. But here we go. Lord, I confess the sin of pride that I've stood up for today. Please forgive me and break any strongholds of pride in my heart and set me free. Holy Spirit, fill my heart and help me to imitate Jesus' humility in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, come and fill us with your spirit. Thank you for your beautiful example. You are the most wonderful person in the universe. We worship you. We honor you. We're so proud of you, Lord. You are amazing.
And Lord, we want to be like you in every way. We want to do great things for you as a church and as individuals, Father. We want your name to be famous again. We want people to come to know you in droves. And Father, we ask you to use us, use our gifts, use our lives, use everything that we have and all that we are for your glory. We ask you to do that. We ask you to do it, Father. We want to make you proud. (laughs) We want to make you proud. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, pour out your spirit on us again. And Father, will you break off the fear of pride that anybody might have, anything that stops us doing great things for you, or the fear of what other people think. Lord, we confess that to you. Father, we just ask you that you would invest us again with your power and your authority to make your name great. Amen. Amen. Amen.